Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. So this week has been a hard week in our region. Uh, The playing out of uh, unimaginable violence um, is heavy. Yeah. Talked to a number of our, our officers in our community over the week, and just first of all, I'm, I'm really proud of our officers. Yeah, I was talking. Yeah. I was talking to, to one of them uh, the morning after the shooting pretty quickly, and uh, his first words to me were, I really hurt for that family. This is before most details came out. Just the way that the violence that happened, um, of course, is just a symptom of something greater. And so we want to just come to Jesus. You know, in, in, sorry, in Chronicles, it talks about how if we humble ourselves and pray and turn from our wicked ways, he'll hear our cry from heaven and heal our land. And we, we need healing. Our, our region needs healing. Our violence rates are out of control. Uh, use, drug usage is out of control. Of course, there's, and not saying there's a correlation between those two things, but brokenness just keeps building on brokenness on brokenness. And so we want to pray towards that end. And so let's pray together. Jesus, we uh, remember how you are a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. And we pray that you, man of sorrows, would come and be present to uh, the Edmonton Police Service, the RCMP, to police and police families all over the world who are, of course, touched by this. And we pray that you'd come in the sweetness of your presence and make good of your promise of blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We pray that you'd come and you'd comfort. Lord, we pray um, for their families, for the Jordan and Ryan families, that you would just bless them with peace, bless them with your love, bless them with community around them. We pray against fear that would come in now and seek to steal, kill, and destroy. We pray for the families of, of other officers, too, that into their fear you'd come with your perfect love. Jesus, we pray for this family. Uh, We pray for uh, this young man's mother who's in the hospital. We pray that you'd protect her, preserve her, you'd bring her to healing, we pray. Yeah, for just brokenness on brokenness in our whole region. Lord, we pray you'd come and heal. We pray against attitudes of us and them. And like uh, Andre had said to me on, on Thursday, we, we pray for them. And we want, want there to be just a bond of love that continues to grow. And so, Jesus, ultimately, we just pray that you would come and return and make all things new. And in the process, would you use us to bring your kingdom? 
We pray your healing over our region. And we know things are far more complicated than we can ever understand, and so we don't want to fall into suspicion. We don't want to fall into blame or anything like that. We just know the world is a broken place, and we need your healing. So we bless our police officers today. We bless them with a sense of your presence, with your love, with your tenderness, your compassion. We pray you'd bless and keep them, that you'd make your face shine upon them, you'd be gracious to them. Turn your face towards them and give them peace. We pray this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for praying. Well, uh, this morning we are continuing on our series on the cross. And today we come to the idea of the cross being a space of healing. In the video, we talked about how the cross becomes familiar. And we can tend to look at the cross and just imagine we know everything that's going on. And so through the series, what we've wanted to do is we've wanted to step back and re-examine and take a look at what all could be happening here. Uh, last week, I showed you my favorite painting. Manny's going to throw it up here again. This is Starry Night by Van Gogh. Uh, I really love it. There's so much beauty to be found in it. And when you find it and you look at it, you examine it and you see there's more going on than you could ever imagine, more than a quick look could ever tell you. But I also wonder what would happen if I told you this wasn't actually the Van Gogh painting, but this was a painting done by an elephant at the Calgary Zoo. How would that affect the way you look at this painting? First of all, you'd be like, wow, that's really cool. I didn't know elephants could do it that well. But then you'd be like, okay. Or what if I told you this was a paint-by-numbers that I did? You might be like, wow, he's more talented than I thought, but okay, you just photocopied something, essentially. Or what if I told you I went onto some AI generator on the internet and I typed in Van Gogh, Starry Night, and it came out with that? Whatever you thought this painting was would affect the way you look at it. Whatever perspective you bring to the painting changes the way you view it. In the same way, whatever perspective we bring to the cross affects the way we see the cross. If we come only thinking of sacrifice and something to be punished, then when we look at the cross, we see that. Or if we come to the cross only thinking from a historical standpoint of the Roman Empire and some guy getting killed by the Roman Empire, then we have all sorts of perspectives of what kind of person this was that must have died. And so we want to come over and over again in this series to the cross trying to find different perspectives. Because I think we need different perspectives. If we only come with one view, we miss out. Right? It's the same as when we all get together and we look out at a sunset, we all see it a little bit differently. And when we share together, we get a better picture. And so we've been using this framing verse out of 1 Corinthians 117 that says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but for those who are being saved, it is the power of God. I think this verse speaks to this, the idea that the same message to some can be foolishness. To some people, it's ridiculous, right? Like the idea of a creator God getting killed on a cross sounds ridiculous. It's foolishness. But to others, it's 
the power of God for salvation. Last week, we talked about how the idea of God using the foolishness of becoming a curse so that he could bring about blessing. And today, I want to talk about the idea the cross speaks of the foolishness of healing coming through the death of the author of life. Last week, uh, we went back to the garden. I think we'll go back there again for a few moments here. And the reason is, is to understand our story, we always need to go back to the beginning to understand where we came from so then we can see how we got here. And so the stories of the scripture starts with a good God who is full of love, who creates a world not uh, out of malice or not to get servants to do something for him, but out of an overflow of love. And he creates a good world. And at the height of creation, he, he creates humanity and he puts them in to image him, to care for and steward the creation, to bring order to it. And the humans are made for three primary kinds of relationship. They're made for relationship with the creator. They're to represent him and to have intimacy. We read of them walking with God. They're created uh, for, in his image, and God has always existed in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and God will always exist in relationship as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we're created for relationship with one another. And then third, uh, they are created for relationship with the creation, with everything else that is God's image bearers. They represent God to creation, to show creation what God is like. And so we read this in the story. It says in Genesis three fifteen to 17, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, you're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. So the triune God places the people in this garden, and he puts two trees before them as well as a bunch of other trees, of course. But one of these trees is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, in case you're wondering about this, this doesn't mean God is opposed to knowledge. God doesn't want us to be dumb. That's not what that's about. God created us with brains. He wants us to grow, to develop, to learn. When we think of knowledge, we think about intellectual learning. But in the Hebrew world, knowledge is about experience and intimacy. It's not just that you'll have information about evil. It's not that if they just ate from this fruit, they'd go, oh, that's what evil is. Instead, they'd know, excuse me, they'd know evil because they'd experience it. Well, the people ended up eating from this, this fruit because they wanted a, way, a life apart from God's way of living and ruling the world. And by doing so, they brought into creation what's called the curse. And this is an undoing of creation. And the curse brought with it sin, decay, and disease. All the goodness of creation started becoming unraveled. This knowing of evil caused their lives to be broken. As uh, the scriptures talk about, it's like a crooked way, a bent way of thinking. Now, often we can think about sin as primarily from the framework of moral law, about a legal reality, a price to be paid. And while that's certainly in the scriptures, but there, there's other ways of looking at it. What if we were to look at sin through the lens of a disease that has infested the world? Much like a bite out of an apple rots the rest of its sin has infected all of creation. It's a sickness that lives in us. It affects us. Much like a cancer to our body where it takes over our body and moves through. 
Sin has that effect as well. It moves through our interactions, through our relationships, through, and it changes our desires, our motivations, and brings death and curse on us. It changes the way we move in the world. It changes the way we think in the world. It's an incurable disease that eventually will kill us. How does thinking through sin, through this lens, change the way we think about it? Less about doing right and wrong and more about being sick. We tend to think about sin as something to be punished, but what if God thinks about sin as something to be healed? That when we do work of confession, when we do work of seeking his, his forgiveness, it's more about healing those parts of us that are broken. Healing those parts of us that are twisted and God wants to, to straighten those things out and to bless us with his healing. How does our concept of sin change if we think of it as a disease? Who here has ever had anyone in their lives or maybe themselves directly affected by cancer before? About five years ago, I got a call from my mom, and she had received a diagnosis of breast cancer. Now, she was able to fight it, and her treatments were, went really well, and it was really effective, and she's in remission, and for that, I am so thankful. That doesn't negate that it was a really hard season. What it did to her body, to her energy levels, uh, it impacted her deeply. And there's always that fear of, will this come back? And will it come back stronger? It's safe to say I don't have positive feelings towards cancer. I don't know anybody who does. What if we took a look at sin in the same way we think about cancer? What if we looked at it and what it does and how it changes us and those around us in the world and we thought about sin as a sickness to be cured, where it changed the way we think about it. Friends, the cross speaks of foolishness, of healing coming through the death of the author of life. Peter writes this. He said, well, first of all, he speaks of Jesus' crucifixion by using a familiar picture of healing. He writes this. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. In this passage, Peter's riffing on a prophecy in Isaiah about the suffering servant, and it goes like this. It says, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain. Like one whom people hid their faces from, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings, and yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought on us, brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Peter, trying to understand what Jesus did and what happened on the cross, looks back to the story in his scriptures. 
looks back to the story of one who would take on all of the brokenness, all the wickedness that Israel had done that caused them to be in exile, which is this personification in Isaiah of the people and how going through exile had to be something they did so they could be returned. Peter looks at him and goes, that sounds a lot like what Jesus did. And so let's look at this. Let's look at the gamut of things. It says, he took up our pain. Now, this word can also mean sorrows as well. It says, he bore our suffering, which can mean disease, sickness, and grief. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. These are the ways that we rebel against God and that we intentionally do wrong in the world. So what did Jesus die for? He died for all of the effects of sin. Jesus' wounds and sufferings brought about our healing, not just for our relationship with the Father, but for all the effects of the fall. Not just for our souls, but for all of our humanity. We can tend to have too small of a picture of what happened on the cross, where we think it's just about the saving of our souls. It's just about our sin, but... What we believe around here, and we're part of the Alliance family, we believe that uh, there is healing in the atonement. That in Jesus' death, there was provision made for healing of our bodies, of our souls, of our spirits, of relationships. That through Christ's death, the full effects of the curse, sin, death, suffering, pain, disease, all these foreign invaders into our world can be healed. Healing isn't just reserved for our souls. Yes, there's about healing our relationship with him. But it's also about so much more. Any place the infection of sin has invaded, whether it's something we've done or has been done to us, Jesus wants to come into those spaces to bring his healing. Jesus wants to heal those parts of us that have been wounded deeply, he wants to uh, heal those parts of us that have caused us to fall into bitterness. He wants to heal those parts of us that have caused broken relationships among us. Anyways, that's worked out, whether that's friends, family, wherever. God wants to be a God of healing. That doesn't always mean that relations get, relationships get restored in the same way, but he wants to heal those places. Where sin felt before Jesus' death like an incurable disease, we now see in Jesus' death that sin no longer has to be incurable, that one day it'll be done forever. What happened to Jesus on the cross was so devastating, we read in Isaiah, that it was hard not to imagine that he was a terrible man. It says they saw him and what happened, and it was, it was we considered him punished by God, stricken by him, and afflicted. Meaning we looked at him and we thought he must have done so much wrong and been so terrible that this happened to him. But the reality isn't that. That was the wrong perspective. Instead, the right perspective was he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. All, all the effects, all of the power of sin, all the ways that we harm one another, all the ways we harm the creation. That was all put on him. He took it on himself. He absorbed it into himself. 
He took that curse on and he exchanged it for righteousness, for blessing, for healing. Righteousness means right relationships. God exchanged our brokenness for righteousness. He took all of our rebellion, all of our intentionally doing wrong, he took on all of our crooked ways on ourself, or on himself. Jesus describes his crucifixion as well as a healing, and he uses a familiar picture. We read about this in John 3. There's probably some familiar words in here for you. He says, Just as Moses was lifted up, or just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son in the world to condemn it, but to save the world through him. Now, the snake in the wilderness is a picture back to the story, a story in the book of Numbers where the Israelites were being attacked by venomous snakes. And so God instructs Moses to make a bronze snake and put it on a staff that if the people looked at it, they'd be healed after being bitten. It's a strange story. Here's the thing, though. The snake getting up didn't scare away all the other snakes. It's not a scarecrow for snakes or something like that. It didn't keep the people from being bitten. Instead, it provided a way of healing after being bitten. In the same way, Jesus' death doesn't stop sin and death at that time. But what it does is it stops their power. That even though we taste the pain of both, they don't get the final say. That when Jesus was lifted up at his crucifixion, Jesus' crucifixion started some healing. That when we look at him, when we gaze on him, we're healed. Jesus, it says, didn't come to condemn the world. Do you condemn someone to be, for being sick? We shouldn't. Sometimes we do. Like if your kid comes to you and they've got a cough, we say, well, this is all your fault. You blah, blah, blah. No. No, we don't, right? We don't condemn that same way, God, Jesus didn't come to condemn us. Didn't come to kick us while we were down and say, you're sick? Too bad. Instead, it says he came to heal us. When the people gazed at the snake, they were healed. When we gaze at Jesus, we are healed. It wasn't a measure of their faith by looking at that snake, but what their snake was placed in God. In the same way, it's not a measure of our faith to get healed, but who our faith is in. In the same way that our, our <clears throat> sorry, excuse me, we read this in John 17. Now this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Jesus says that we'll have eternal life, and now he tells us what eternal life is. It's union with the Trinity. Eternal life looks like getting to know God. Remember, knowing isn't knowledge about. Knowing is intimacy and relationship. That as we have union with the Trinity, we join in with their, their relationship. We're healed. Friends, the presence of God is restorative. It brings us healing. As we live into the union of God that we were created for, we discover that we're being healed means that we're being transformed to be more like him. God's holiness means that he's other. It means he's untouched and unaffected by sin. 
Sin isn't communicable for God. If we spend time with him, it's not like he gets sick. Instead, it's the opposite. As we spend time with him, we get healed. The early church father, Ignatius of Antioch, who is one of the Apostle John's disciples, writes this of Jesus. We also have a physician, the Lord, the, the Lord our God, Jesus the Christ, the only begotten Son and Word, before time began, but who afterwards became also a man of Mary the Virgin. For the Word was made flesh. Being incorporeal, he was in the body. Being impassable, he was in a passable body. Being immortal, he was in a mortal body. Being life, he became subjection to, subject to corruption that he might free our souls from death and corruption and heal them. And he might restore them to health when they were diseased and ungodliness, or with ungodliness and wickedness. Anti Ignatius of Antioch looks at Jesus and the miracle of his incarnation, of his taking on our humanity and dying for us. And he looks at him and says, you're a doctor for our souls. He might, that he might free our souls from death and corruption and heal them, restore them to health. Now, our souls are not just the, the part of us that goes to Jesus when we die and the part that waits for our body to be resurrected one day. Our soul is a seat of our emotions. This is, this is who we are. Uh, it's like what we think of our brain and what we think of our heart kind of tied together. And friends, Jesus is... Excuse me, Jesus is trustworthy with our souls. He's not out to shame us. He's not going to tell us to work harder and harder and drive faster and faster. Instead, he's good and kind. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. We can expect healing for sin. The fancy term for this is sanctification. That when we turn to Christ, we receive salvation, forgiveness, and ultimate healing for our sin like we talked about last week when it was covered up. But then sanctification is a process by which we live into our salvation, by which we live into our healing. When we turn to, sorry, it's the work of healing that we join the Spirit in as we apprentice with Jesus. That we're with Jesus, we become, when we're with Jesus, we become like him. That we're actually changed to be with him. He's the only human who is free from sin. And as we do that, we find his healing begins to spread through us, to shape us and change us. If you're not catching it, union with God is where we find healing. But it's not a quick fix, is it? Sometimes Jesus will bring sudden change in our lives. I've seen that a bit in my life. But more often than not, it's long-term work where we patiently partner with the Spirit to discover where the sickness is found in us. And as we discover it, we name it or confess it and ask him to heal us and forgive us from it. And as we do, we discover that he's kind and he does it. But it requires patience. It requires hard work. Following Jesus is, is difficult. Living into healing is difficult. I know for me, uh, a big part of my, my receiving freedom and healing from, from my brokenness has looked like going to see my counselor. But being with my psychologist and sitting down and going, here's the stuff I'm sitting with. And here's the brokenness that happened to me that I'm stuck with and I can't find healing for yet. And will you help me with that? 
So it's not just about praying and it's not just about doing work on my own. It's about this working together of these two things. Asking Jesus to bring freedom, but also doing my part at the same time. Or a couple of years ago, we moved into this building. I don't know if you know, but Dairy Queen is just down the road. And there's this really sweet deal that Dairy Queen offers that if I get a burger, a fries, a drink, I can upsize a Sunday to a blizzard for an extra couple dollars. And it all comes in at about 11 bucks. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? It was great until it was like three days a week. And then I went to my doctor, and he's like, hey, uh, your triglycerides are off the chart. And you got to change this. Now, if I'd only said, okay, Jesus, will you heal me from that? Do you think Jesus would? No, it required hard work. I mean, the hardest work was stop going to Dairy Queen. But it involved changing patterns in my life. Saying to Jesus, I'm going to partner with you. I'm not going to just trust you to be some kind of magic genie that takes away my problems. But instead, I'm going to live into the work of my salvation by partnering with you in this. It takes hard work. Be suspect of things that say it's nice and easy. There's no magic pill. But there is healing. It might come quick. There might be a big part of it to begin with, but there might be other layers and layers of healing that need to come. Jesus is kind and gentle with us. And as we're healed, it doesn't mean we may never struggle with it again, but it can become easier. And as anybody who's gone any sort of, through any sort of addiction recovery will tell you, you can't do it alone. We tend to think we can do this all by ourselves, or it's just us and Jesus. But the truth of the matter is it's us and Jesus. You need other people along the way who are encouraging you, who are helping, who you're naming your struggles with, who are praying for you. So I encourage you to find someone. If you want help in that or um, um, ways to do that, come talk to me. We've got some stuff we're working on here with our apprenticeship groups. But I encourage you, find other people to walk this journey with. And as we come to him, when we say, would you bring your healing, what we discover is he sits with us. And he shares through his presence where he wants to bring healing. And it might not be where we expect. We might think, okay, I need healing. Or better yet, we might look at somebody else and go, they need healing there. And just like, actually, it's about that actually that they need. And you need healing about this. Will we trust him that he actually knows what he's doing? So I've got a couple quick thoughts on healing, and then uh, we're going to go back to worship. But the first one is this. God won't heal anything we won't let him. God doesn't override human will and emotion. The devil does that. Darkness does that. Evil does that. God works in consent. As we say to him, there's this part of my life, I need your healing, and he'll come into that. But he won't push through where you're at, and he'll only go as far as you'll let him. Secondly, healing is a sign of the arrival of the kingdom. We saw this in Jesus' ministry. It says Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. It's a sign of the arrival of the kingdom. The kingdom is still arriving today. Next, ultimate healing will come at the great resurrection. 
Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life, and the one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha says, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who's come in the world. What this doesn't mean is that we'll never physically die. We will. Lazarus died. We all died. The apostles died. The heroes of the faith died. But the difference is that because of Jesus' death and resurrection, death has been defeated. Think back to the snake story. The people were still bitten in the same way we're still bitten by death and sin. But its venom has been pulled out. One day we will all rise at the great resurrection. You can read about that in 1 Corinthians 15. Any healing today is a glimpse of the healing to come, which we read about in Revelation, where it says he will, God will dwell with us and he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He says there will be trees there with leaves for the healing of the nations. Next, the creation is waiting for healing as well. It says in Romans 8 that the creation is waiting for us to be uh, revealed so that we can be, help it liberate from its bondage to decay and be brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. And so even the way you work towards healing will involve the way you live in the land, the way you image the creator God to the creation. Not everyone's going to be physically healed as well. But that doesn't mean we don't ask. I know what it's like to pray for someone's healing and hope uh, for the best and only to have them die. I know what it's like to be constantly praying for someone and see little to no improvement. Anybody else know what that's like? It's easy to get beat up by that, isn't it? it here's the thing, though. It's a mystery. Why some are healed physically and others aren't is a great mystery that I can't even begin to explain or understand. What I do know, though, is every sickness comes from the fall, but that doesn't mean it's the result of someone's sin, but it means that it's not meant to be here, and God is good, and he is going to take that away either today, tomorrow, or at the end of things. It's easy to become apathetic. It's easy to assume it's not going to happen, that God won't heal whether it's with our bodies, with our hearts, or our souls. But we might be missing out. God might want to bring healing in that situation. So why not ask? What do you got to lose? What if he wants to bring healing? What if we just embraced the mystery? And lastly this, Jesus doesn't stand apart from our suffering. Jesus doesn't stand distant from you in your suffering. He doesn't judge you in your pain, in your suffering, in your sin. Instead, like with Mary at the raising of Lazarus, Jesus weeps. He's a man of sorrows. He's not aloof or distant. He knows it and he's with you in it. It's an opportunity to be with him in your suffering. Peter even talks about it as an opportunity to identify with Christ in your suffering. And so my invitation for you today is to sit with Jesus. To abide in the vine. And ask him, will you sit with me and explore my life with me? Where is sin and the disease of decay at work in my life? in my relationships, in my body, 
in the way that I treat the land? Is there something in my soul that I need to let go of that I've been holding on too long? Is there somebody I need to forgive? Is there some place that I just need to name so you can bring healing to it? Sit with Jesus and ask, first of all, the question, where do I need your healing? And secondly, where can I join in with you as you heal all things? Because Jesus always wants to partner with us. So maybe it's a broken relationship that you know you need to make the first step to go into mend. Maybe it's even the way that you treat your yard, as silly as that might feel to you. The way that you care for that plot of land that you find yourself on is a gospel issue. Will you turn to Jesus and seek union with him and discover what he's up to and what he wants to bring healing to? So I bless you in the name of Jesus to know his presence with you that is so kind and gentle, to know this yoke that's easy and light, and to experience his healing and rest for your souls. So I bless you in the name of Jesus, friends. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.